Well, good morning once again, and welcome to Jordan Valley Church. Uh, my name is Wes Holmes, one of the pastors here, and I'll be bringing the word to us this morning as we continue through our series in the book of Luke. The King has come, and this morning, uh, Pastor John asked me to preach, and I think I know why. Uh, it's because chapter 3 is this very long genealogy of Jesus with lots of very difficult names to say. <laughs> Thank you, John. Uh, so I will do my best as, as I read this, this genealogy of Jesus, and then we'll unpack it uh, together. So if you have a Bible, please turn, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 3. We'll start in verse 21, and we'll read to the end of the chapter, verse 37. And this is the word of the Lord. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Semin, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jorim, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meliah, the son of Mena, the son of Mathata, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Anasham, the son of Aminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. <laughs> this ends the reading of God's word, and may he bless it to us. Um, let's pray together as we come. Uh, Father, we heard a lot of names. Most of the names were hard to say, and most of the names we've never heard before. Um, but thank you, Lord, that you know our name, that indeed our names are graven on your hands, Lord Jesus. We pray, O Lord, that you would speak with your mighty voice to us this morning, that you would speak, O Lord, that we would hear, that our minds would understand and that our hearts would believe. So, O Holy Spirit, come and speak to us now through this word of yours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Like we mentioned during the children's message, family is hard. 
Family can give you a profound sense of security and identity. Family can also wound you more deeply than anyone else. Julia and I, when we were engaged, uh, we got some premarital counseling from our, our pastor, and he helped us to talk through some of the major issues or presenting problems that often will lead couples to divorce. Fun, right? Well, uh, one of the major issues was the merging of families. He said, don't let your in-laws become outlaws. <laughs> the thing is, family can be a strain on your marriage, on your parenting. Family can be a source of real blessing in one moment and the cause of tremendous heartache in the next. Families have history. They're complicated, messy. Consider your own family. Consider the different families you're a part of. There's your family of origin, maybe your adoptive family. You've got your work family, your hobby family, your church family. Well, this morning as we hear from Luke, we're going to consider the family of Jesus. But you might be wondering, what does the family of a 2,000-year-old Jewish man have to do with you and me today? Well, if you're a Christian, it means that your family is bigger and more beautiful and probably a lot more messed up than you might think. So we're going to look at three truths about Jesus, about who he is, to help us fill this picture in. The first truth is Jesus is the Son of God. Second, Jesus is the second Adam. And third, Jesus is our elder brother. And this is what I want you to hear, that Jesus is the true Son of God who brings us into the family of God as beloved children. Jesus, the true Son of God, brings us into the family of God as beloved children. So let's look at this first truth about Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. So here's John baptizing Jesus, and things got interesting. The text says, Heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in the appearance of a dove, and a voice came from heaven for all to hear. Now remember, Luke, just like the other gospel accounts, are eyewitness testimonies, things that they saw and heard. And wow, what a sight this must have been. And this story plays uh, a key role in how Christians have come to understand the very nature of God himself. You've got the Father speaking from heaven. You've got the Son praying and being baptized. You have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and landing upon Jesus. Yet God throughout history has told his people that he is one. There is but one God. There is no other. So how do we understand Jesus' family of origin? You might have already caught on that I'm hinting here at the doctrine of the Trinity. Jesus is truly unique. He said and did things that no one else in all of history has repeated. He was born of a virgin. So the Bible tells us that Jesus is actually God in the flesh, the eternal God who took on human nature to himself. 
So in a very real sense, Jesus doesn't have a family of origin like we do. He always was and has been God the Son and the Son of God, existing before anything was created. The amazing thing about our God is that though he is one in his essential nature, he is also three in persons. This means that God exists in an eternal relationship in and of himself between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all equal in power and glory. Well, how can this be? I mean, at the end of the day, friends, we cannot comprehend the infinite and eternal God. He is bigger and greater than we can even imagine. But we can relate to him. We can relate to him as a child relates to their father, as a sibling to their brother or sister. We can relate to God like we relate to a friend. And we can worship him as one who is far greater than our minds could ever imagine. So Jesus is the Son of God, not only as the divine Son of the Father, but also as the King of heaven. Son of God, that that name, that title in the Old Testament was a royal title. For example, Psalm 2 says, the Lord says, I have installed my King on Zion, my holy mountain. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. So this heavenly declaration coming out of heaven over Jesus is actually this means of his royal anointing. As he's baptized, he is baptized the king of heaven. It's in this moment that Jesus, the God-man, is officially appointed king over God's people. The Father and the Spirit bearing testimony. But you have to ask, what kind of king accepts a baptism of repentance as his royal anointing? Where's the pomp? Right? Where's the circumstance? Where's, where's all the fanfare? Well, Jesus' reign is unusual. He had nothing to repent of. Jesus was perfect in righteousness. But he willingly submitted himself to John's baptism. He did it to fulfill the Father's will, first and foremost. He did it because he knew God wanted him to. And ultimately, he wanted him to because Jesus wanted to identify with us, you and me. We begin to see that Jesus is the Son of God who came to serve. He came to serve. Imagine a four-star general puts on an apron, gets in the kitchen, cooks up a meal, prepares it, and then he goes out to serve all these newly enlisted recruits. Why, right? In his baptism, Jesus says, I'm with you in this. I am for you. I'm going to lead the way for you to be with God. So here's the eternal Son of God, friends, the King of heaven, and he's identifying with broken people. He's the beloved son who comes down to the unlovable likes of us in order to lift us up to God. One commentator said it this way. He says, Jesus is like us in that he has come down into the same pit with us 
But he is unlike us in that while we are here because of a fall in disobedience, he is here because of a descent in obedience. He came according to his Father's will. And that brings us to the second truth. Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus, the second Adam. And this is where we're going to turn our attention to our genealogy. Um, it's interesting. We live in a state where genealogies are quite important uh, to people. And, you know, it's just 20 minutes north of us uh, is one of the largest genealogical libraries in the world. We have to ask, well, why does Luke include this very long and very difficult to read genealogy? I mean, it goes all the way back to the very first person who ever lived, right? Um, you know, it's interesting. Matthew, his account, also has a genealogy. Um, but it only goes back to Abraham. I mean, that would have been so much easier uh, to read. Um, but interestingly, that's not the only difference. Um, Matthew follows... Uh, there's a perfect agreement in, in the, in the uh, record of names between Abraham and David, between Matthew and Luke's accounts, um, but after David, Matthew follows the line of Solomon, and Luke follows the line of Nathan, son of David. Uh, this means that almost all the names listed between David and Jesus, when you compare the two, are different. Okay. Well, if you're doing genealogical research for the Son of God, you might want to be careful, right? What's going on here? What is happening? <clears throat> I mean, this is where the Bible skeptics come in, right? And they say, see, see, told you. There's contradictions. Matthew and Luke, they're unreliable. And somebody's wrong here. Now, don't be fooled by this kind of reasoning because there's a number of possibilities for why these differences exist. First, it's been suggested that Matthew is following the royal or kind of official lineage of Jesus while uh, Luke is following the biological lineage. Um, and that can make sense, seeing as how Luke gives several more names, more details in his account. He wants to be more precise and be, uh, be more of a historian in that sense. But, this, um, but Matthew is also following uh, something else here. There's, there's another possibility for, for the, why the difference exists. It's possible that Matthew is following Joseph's family tree, while Luke is following Mary's. After all, we know that Jesus wasn't biologically related to Joseph. You know, at the end of the day, there's reasonable and plausible explanations for why these differences exist, but we don't know why. However, that does not mean we have a contradiction here. You see, in order for a contradiction to exist, you'd have to prove that these genealogies both can't both be true. But as we've already seen, there's at least a couple, and, and more than this, honestly, of reasonable explanations for why the records are, di are different. What we have to understand is that we need to not miss the forest for the trees as well. Luke differs in drawing his record all the way back to Adam for a reason. There's a reason he brings it all the way back to the very first person who ever lived. He's wanting us to draw the connection not only between Jesus as the king from David's line or as the seed of Abraham, but he's wanting us to see that Jesus is also the second and true Adam, who, if you notice, is called the Son of God. 
This highlights the fact that Jesus has not only identified with the nation of Israel through the line of Abraham, but he has identified with the whole human race. The Apostle Paul helps us understand what's going on here, this connection between Jesus and Adam in Romans 5, where he says this, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have time to unpack all the implications of what is going on here with Jesus as the second Adam, but we should note a few key points. First, starting with with the first man, Adam, he was created the Son of God. Not only for himself and for his wife Eve, but as a representative to God of the whole human race. And you might recall that God placed them in a beautiful garden, called them to work and keep it, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He gave them a test. He said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest you die. But at the testing tree, Adam failed and ate the fruit, and the whole human race was plunged into broken relationships. A broken relationship with God. A broken relationship with one another. And even a broken relationship with yourself. Sin and death entered God's good world. And now every day, you and I face the deep and reverberating effects of that reality. Adam was the son of God, but he failed to live up to his royal title. And so have we. Jesus was a new kind of man. He was born of a virgin, so without the stain of Adam's sin. He came to be a new representative before God. Jesus faced a test. And here's the key difference between the first and second Adam. Adam failed and fell, but Jesus succeeded. Jesus, the true Son of God, stood the test, and not just for himself, but in the place of all who will trust in him. In Adam, we must face the death that we deserve for our sin and disobedience. But in Christ, we receive life through his perfect righteousness as a gift of God's grace. You see, Jesus was baptized as the one with whom God is well pleased. And that brings us to our final point. Jesus is our elder brother. But first, friends, let me ask you this question, Christians. How does God feel about you? Can you say he is well pleased with you? Yes. Yes, you can. Because God feels the same way about you as he does about his own son. When God looks at you in Christ, he doesn't call you to account for your sin and failures. He welcomes you with loving arms. He forgives and accepts you. He grants you the gift of eternal life. And this is not because you've done all the right things or you have the best spiritual pedigree. Jesus' own family tree is filled with liars, adulterers, and murderers, and 
That's just Abraham and David. When you trust in Jesus, friend, you become a part of a new family. A family assembled by God's lavish grace and kindness. In Christ, you're grafted in to a family with a beautiful history. A history of God's grace and love and mercy. And you're promised a glorious future. A future in God's everlasting kingdom. So Jesus' genealogy, when we look at it, it really is just a list of a bunch of names of people that you and I have never heard of. In fact, at least 40 of these names are not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. But these are the ancestors of the Son of God. So what does all this mean for us, you and me, today? It means, friend, that when you put your faith in Jesus, God puts your name in his family tree. You're adopted as a child of the King of Heaven. It's unlikely that any of our names will be remembered in a couple hundred years, let alone 2,000. But God will always remember us. Luke shows us that God takes a bunch of nobodies and mess-ups and includes them in his royal family. And guess what? He's still doing that today. Are you a part of God's family through Jesus, through faith in him? Is there something stirring within you, a longing for a place to belong? Jesus beckons you to come to him with all your sin, with your brokenness, with your anger and your fears. Come to him with your family troubles and your wounds. Friend, come to Jesus just as you are. He is lowly and gentle of heart. And whoever comes to him, he will never, ever cast out. When you put your faith in Jesus, friend, not only do you have his righteousness counted as yours, perfect, perfect obedience, but you have his sonship too. You and I become royal sons and daughters of the same heavenly father. And so Jesus truly is our brother. He's our elder brother who existed before time and space and who alone has the power to save. Christians, we have a new family in the people of God. And we're not a perfect family. Not yet. We still think and say and do things that we know are wrong. But God knows us. He dwells within us and among us. He gives us grace for our trials, the hard things that we face in our weaknesses and our sins. I want to draw a couple applications uh, as we come to a close. Uh, so here's a couple thoughts for application. First, in Christ we are free from the burden of trying to make a name for ourselves. We live in a world that tells us we have to have a brand. We need to promote ourselves. Get your name out there. If you're going to get anywhere in the world, you have to stand out above the crowd. But friends, this is not how a relationship with God works. He doesn't pick the ones who prove themselves worthy of his attention. He doesn't set his love on the righteous and the deserving. He comes down into our mess and our brokenness, and he lifts us up 
to the highest honor, higher than the world could ever bestow. Second thought for application. We are set free in Christ to live and reflect the kingship of Jesus, to live in light of his rule. Christian, you have something to show the world. If you're free from the burden of building the perfect resume, you can tell others of that same freedom too. If Jesus, your king, came to humbly serve you so that you might be lifted up, how might you serve another, showing God's grace and love, even denying your own preferences and desires in service to them? How can you show that grace to your family, even when they have sinned against you and done you wrong? How might we, as a church family, be loving and forgiving one another? Friends, let's press into the grace of our elder brother, Jesus, so we might find the power to truly live for him, to reflect his kindness to the world around us. And so to conclude, Jesus is the true Son of God who brings us into the family of God as beloved children. So even when we fail, it is Jesus who stands in the fray. Remember, he succeeded where Adam fell. He is righteous even when you and I are filled with sin. Friends, look to Jesus. And no matter where you find yourself in this world, you belong to a royal family that one day will be perfected in glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Our glorious Father, we, we thank you for just the immense privilege. We can't even wrap our minds around it. The privilege of belonging to you forever. Lord, help this reality to be so rooted in our hearts and minds that we would live in the freedom that you provide us in Christ to live in the confidence that we are yours forever, no matter what the world says about us. And Lord, in that, may we represent your character to the watching world, that they would see you in and through us, despite our brokenness, our sins, and our imperfection. Lord, may you shine forth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.